You're listening to Worthy. And welcome to another week of Worthy. We're bringing you newsworthy stories from trustworthy sources right around the world and also right here in Australia. My name is Alexia Boland. It's no secret that our struggle with mental illness is a growing issue. In any one year, it's believed more than one million Australians will experience depression. While other surveys forecast that around 9.6% of all Americans will battle mental illness each year. And that's just two countries. Many people who are experiencing their lowest moments will reach out to not only friends and family, but also to crisis hotlines and call centres. These people are often unpaid volunteers who man the phones day and night in the hope of making a difference to someone who is struggling and helping them through that tough moment. But who are these people who are bravely taking on this mammoth task? And does taking the calls and dealing with potentially suicidal people take a toll on their own lives? We spoke with two former call takers to hear their story. I think it was probably the early 90s when I first got involved with it. I, I was studying psychology. I'd sort of, I, wasn't, I wouldn't go so far as saying I was a mature age student, but I probably a few years in where I worked out what I wanted to do. Um, I got involved out of a strange scenario where there was a person who I didn't really know very well at uni rang me. This was all sort of pre-mobile phone days, I suspect. And he, and I didn't even know why he rang me. I didn't, I didn't know how he knew he had my phone number. And he said to me, um, he told me amongst a few other things that he just tried to kill himself. Mm. And I was a, um, I think I was studying agricultural science at the time. I was probably just making a transition to study psychology. And it struck me as... I had no idea why he rang me, and then I just sort of switched into a mode of I didn't, you know, I just thought I'd better talk to him. And so anyway, I got involved that way, and then so I started to see that as a career path. And as that career path sort of came, that was the catalyst. And then I looked at Lifeline, where I thought that some of the crisis work. So he survived, thankfully, and I worked out that I quite. It's strange to say I quite enjoyed it, but it was one of those things where you had a sense of you're doing something with a purpose. It challenged me to think, um, to understand another people's perspective. And so I looked into Lifeline as a, and I was recommended by someone in there that that'd be a really good pathway to gain some sort of practical experience once I was studying. And yeah, and so it was, it was one of those, was, I'm not quite sure, I was probably just looking for experience and ways in which I could sort of make a contribution and, and do things that actually challenged me to think about my world, which probably wasn't high on my agenda as a 22-year-old young man mm. at the time. Um, so I got involved because I, as I was, during my teenage years, I suffered quite badly from depression. And um, I always considered myself very fortunate to have made it through and to still be around and so I was I hated the thought of somebody having no one to turn to um, and knowing how bad depression can get uh, and the experience people can have the thought of somebody having no one to reach out with really um, reach out to really disturbed me so um, I thought um, that 
because I had made it through, I felt a sense of obligation and wanting to help others, you know, a bit like James, like wanting to sort of um, contribute and, and try and help other people that were going through what I'd already suffered. And it was interesting, like I, um, when I did the course to become a lifeline counsellor, the, um, a lot of the, oh, I wouldn't say a lot, like a number of the people that were involved in the class, or sorry, that were learning were quite, you know, damaged in some way to the extent that I worried maybe they weren't, Mm. you know, (laughs) yeah. Did you find that as well? Yeah, I reckon there was a range of people who who I studied with who'd, who'd had experience themselves mm. and there was that sense of wanting to make a contribution and felt that there was an insight um, into what they had. In terms of, and, and maybe, I don't the group I think I went through with were, they were, that they varied in their purpose for being there yeah. and I, I sort of, my recollection of the training is probably a bit vague now, but it was almost like that first stage of the, the sort of vetting that they, mm. they did go through a bit of that when people were in there and it was, it was partially their own therapy in one yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think that at one level, I think they probably started to suggest maybe that people weren't, they weren't quite in the space to handle yeah. those things. And there's a bit of that sort of parallel processing stuff mm. without all the jargon language. But they were, they were as much still dealing with their own issues. And so therefore, to talk to someone else about it, it became a really personal thing. And therefore, were they as a sort of, you know, could they sort of step back from it? Because yeah. I think that it really... You know, part of the training was always to understand what your own triggers were. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people got to in that space was that that it brought up a lot for themselves mm. because you can never predict what anybody's going to tell you. Yeah. You don't get, like, case notes beforehand about who who, who the client is, who you're going to talk to. You just, you know, the, the phone rings and you answer it. Mm. So there's a lot of risks associated with that. And I, and, I, and I think you're right. There was people who were really trying to help, but their, their own issues were going to be a real challenge for them because it it, it opens up so many things yeah. to people you know you yeah, don't yeah. want to sort of open up a can of stuff that they thought they dealt with and then yeah. the person on the other end is going well you know not quite who's this about but you know what i mean like yeah, yeah totally. there's a bit of risk with it do you think it takes a certain kind of person that can cope with that kind of demand on your emotions as well as you know attempting to try and help someone else through a difficult time a special kind of person to be able to take the calls oh uh, I think, I think that the, the the and I'm once again generalising. I suppose the commonalities you have to actually want to do it. As in, you have to be. I think you can go in with the view that you can, um, you want to help people, and which is makes obviously sort of perfect sense. I think the bit about the people who can do it well without being sort of judgmental about it is that. It is a capacity to still remain a little bit removed. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that it's often with with some of the... Because it just can bring up anything. Mm. You you don't... You know, I used to say to people, if you made up the most bizarre story about your life, I've got people's real stories which would top it time and time again. You can't make up things that happen to people. Like, it's just... So it's hard to predict... So they're, they're special people to do it. I reckon they're special people to do it well. Um, I reckon you can really, people can, you know, it's an area where goodwill isn't enough yeah. because you can actually draw out of, you can draw really personal things out of people and you can open up areas where, you know, you maybe shouldn't go or you don't, you, you open it up and you, you don't have the skills to take it any further. Yeah. And so I reckon that bit about, it's, um, 
I think mo and the, the crisis or the lifeline, the one that I that they were really good around providing those boundaries around how far that was the the training from once again it's a long time ago was 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 pretty good about that that they they recognised that you know that the, the the want to help and if it was a real need for the person wasn't really enough and and that it, it could actually do more harm to both both parties mm-hmm. so yeah they have to be special people but it's a skill set that you know you're dealing with some really tough stuff you know mm-hmm. you, I used to remember the um, you know the, I reckon that 3am to 4am time was the the worst yeah because yeah. that was always the time I reckon if you're up at 3am it's too late to have a have had a late night and it's too mm-hmm. early to be up and if you're up at that time I reckon that's almost the time when something's wrong yeah mm-hmm. as overly simplistic as a, as a way of defining someone's problems is by the what time of the day they're awake but it's still one of those times when you'd start to see that People were really struggling at yeah. that time. If they want to talk to someone, then so mm. yeah, yeah, it's um, it it's complex stuff, and mm. it's often the first time in some cases they've actually been able to ask for help or talk or someone who's actually there to listen. Mm. And the fact that it's all, it's anonymous at one level, you don't, you know, there's no stigma. You can sit in your home and make a phone call to an, a counselling service is a lot easier to do than to. Run, go up to a local site clinic where you got to walk past maybe you know people you know, and there's still yeah. the stigma associated with it. So yeah. they play such a, a valuable role about that first stage of getting you know, mental health support. Yeah, oh, I would agree. I think it, it's yeah, it's a special skill set yeah. in being able to have empathy. Yeah, um, and also suspending judgment um, yeah. is critical because I think um, if you're the sort of person that would become hardened to you know, because a lot of people call up because they're very lonely. Yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah. they deserve as much compassion as someone that is calling up yeah. with, you know, um, using a quite a bad way. Um, loneliness is terrible, but um, just yeah, you can't. Somebody that yeah is willing to suspend judgment, and also that somebody like as James said is willing to sit within the the, the boundaries that the kind of the, the training provides yeah. to you because if you go outside of that like yeah. um and some people you know i think we're natural rebels and they wanted to go outside yeah, of it yeah. and find out you know dig deep but yeah. that's not the role to save know. the world sort of stuff well, yeah did you find that, is there was there a time limit for how long each call could be um they didn't uh they it wasn't a time limit per se um uh, ideally like if if somebody had a really difficult issue, uh, the, the general rule was, you know, look, it just it took as long as it took, but you'd also kind of be looking to um, uh, work on referrals and, and identifying other, you know, methods of support and so forth and a plan going forward um, probably within about, like, 20 minutes, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, if somebody was uh, suicidal, you'd take as long as you yeah. need. yeah. Did you find that um, after finishing your shift and things like that, you would find yourself thinking about the people that you did, you know, had spoken with and wondering how they got on, if they are okay? Did it start affecting your own life? Uh, it was it was interesting because you know you you deal with people. Obviously, suicide would come up and, and depression and all, all these things. And I, I used to finish shifts and um, I would walk out of there and my. And I'd, I'd say this to people a lot that I would walk out of there going, "How good is my life?" Yeah, me too. Because you would look at it and go, in comparison to what people who are going through, 
any sort of the, the, the vagaries of your own world about things you were complaining about or unhappy about, you'd look at it and come out and going, man, how lucky am I? Yeah. And so it always had that impact. I reckon the bit that the discipline, particularly of um, if you were dealing with some of the, the crisis stuff and the suicide stuff, was that you the, the really clear message is about if you're still thinking about the previous person when you're dealing with the next person, then you're not doing much of a job for that next person. So it became quite disciplined about you you know you, you did your little debrief sheet or you wrote your case notes or whatever it was, and then you moved on to the next person. At the end of it, I didn't. I think I was probably okay at moving on because I suppose that you have to be comfortable that there's only so much you can do if you if you need to have someone and I don't mean this in a disparaging way to say to save the world if you want to I think sometimes people who can cross the boundary around wanting to you know I don't mean literally embrace this person but do everything they can to save them then that's hard but and I don't know whether it was I don't know why but I was okay with being able to say I've done everything I can in that period of time then that the sad reality of things like suicide is that if if someone wants to, they, they can. You do everything you can to stop that, but in the end, they, they're they able to, there's always a thing you can do. You can't be there 100% of the time with everyone. So you have to sort of have your own boundaries. And I think the training was really good at trying to support that too. Because, you know, if you spend all your time worrying about that, it, you couldn't go back yeah. because you, you can't control it. Yeah. So yeah, it was... I, I think I, I was okay with it. There's only so much you can do. Yeah, there is. And if you've done your best, and you and without, and that sounds sort of trite, really, but there, there is only so much you can do. And that you're, you're trying to provide them with those options. The, the fact that you listened, you know, that I always, that one of the lines was that I was like, was that it, it's that the advantage of a line, of a, of a crisis line at one level is that they're calling when they're ready to talk. Mm. And it's the, the line about um, that. It, what you you know we used to say to young people a lot it's it's a matter of when you need to talk I'm here to listen mm-hmm. as opposed to right sit down now and tell me what your problems are which mm-hmm. doesn't really work so the advantages of those type demand lines are that you call in when they're ready to talk about it and so they've called in for a reason whether it's conscious or not and then they've called in for, with a purpose and just to be heard and then often that's you know that's a good that's a that's that's a start mm-hmm. and then you start to build from there what about you, Cassandra? Um, Do you find that it started to take a toll on you personally? No, I didn't actually. Um, like similar to James, it was very. I was just able to put a boundary on it, and a lot of people, um, like my family and friends, were concerned that I would take it, really take it on board. Um, and I, I still today think about people I spoke to. I'll still, I still. There are some particulars I'll still think about, and um, you know. It, but like, I had a friend; she also did it, and she developed quite horrific anxiety out of it. Like mm. she, because there is a there's a there is such an element of the unknown. Like you, you're sitting there, the phone rings, you don't know what it will be. No, that's right. And you either can handle that yeah. and just go, okay, whatever comes, I'm just going to do my best. Mm. You can handle it or you, you don't, and some people can't mm. can't handle that. Yeah, the, the waiting time can be the hardest mm. time if you're worried about, am I going to get someone who's this? And particularly early when people start, then you'd start to see, and I did some supervision work after I was there for a while, and you'd, that, that sense of the anxiety, the phone about what it's going to be mm. was always there. Mm. And if that really bit into people, you need to be able to switch on and off yeah. and be ready to go when it was ready to go but you'd have quiet times and 
Mm. You could see people who would sort of work themselves into a frenzy, just like watching the phone, yeah. either willing it to ring or willing it not to ring, depending yeah, yeah. on. Yeah. And that was never a good sign, probably. So you could try and help with those sort of mm. strategies to, to cope. And finally, why did you leave? Why did, what made you finish up? Was it you know, other opportunities or just you, know, you felt that you know, you'd kind of done what you can for that time? Would you do it again, I suppose? Um, oh, it was really just time and career stage, I suppose, that I went from a phase of um, the experience was, was great um, it's it's hands-on learning at its most practical mm-hmm. um, and for me it was a matter of I think it was if I remember right, it was at the time of just um, work commitments and doing other other things and uh, so that was the main reason I didn't re- leave under any bad circumstances obviously mm-hmm. um, would I do it again oh I, I suspect I'm at a different phase of my life now and, it, and it's probably just a matter of um, uh, time i'll be i i would suspect i'd struggle to find time helping people now because of that experience and listening to their problems and and if you know if someone's having a rough time you probably would be the best person to speak to still yeah, yeah you, you, you definitely is <laughs> <laughs> maybe not everyone would agree with that but i think that um it certainly was that you know when if you if you're in that you know i always study well, i started to study psychology at the time and at that undergraduate level it's very it's very um it's theoretical um, there's no greater training and it's you know you have to obviously age and maturity comes into it but I think that that really it's such a, it's an important role that it is for the community but it's also it's experience like you won't get anywhere else and it, it'll really tell you you know it's all well and good to say I want to be in a helping role or I want to be a psych or I want to be a counsellor mm-hmm. so whatever it is but until you do it like things like that you work out you know the questions you asked about if you if you walk out of there and it's killing you or the anxiety is mm. killing you it's probably a good indication that it's probably not a career move for you so at that level i think oh, yeah, i learned a heap out of it. it it really probably reinforced that as a career path that it was something that could that could work and i still use the skills to this day and it really i think set me on a path of a, of a career that was far more rewarding than where i was at the time I think I would say as well, you've, it's really good for you in terms of, because you manage people so well. Like it's, you know, there's, if workplace is made up of humans, like, you know, they've all got issues and stuff going on and, you know, I can see how James, you know, manages people in a very positive way, I think, because of an understanding of human nature. Mm. But um, I had a, there was somebody who did... Um, the course with me and she had always wanted to be a psychologist and then after doing you know doing a few shifts she's like I just have no interest in this at all (laughs) so it's I think people some people are very interested in human nature but actually sitting down or or trying to help people that are very facing it yeah Yeah. like you know people's issues are incredibly complex and it some people go yeah okay well I thought this was my career but it's not but um, I ended up having to finish. Um, I got another job <clears throat> that was really demanding, and um, I, you know, I was doing shifts at like four o'clock in the morning and four till eight, and then going into work, and it just wasn't. I just couldn't keep it up. Mm-hmm. Like it was just too difficult. And they had this weird roster system. You had to go in and sign in for shifts, and 
even just it was hard enough for me to get in there just to do a shift yeah. let alone to go in and sign up on a sheet so it just yeah so I, I would I would definitely do it again but I'd I'd say I'd have to do some retraining because I'm pretty rusty <laughs> <laughs> That's worthy for this week. Remember, if you or someone you know is struggling, you can access call centres and assistance in your respective countries. Remember, you can reach us at producers at worthypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter, and feel free to stop by worthypodcast.com. I'm Alexia Boland. Tune in next week.